Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 290. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Oh my God, we made it through 2020. <laughs> I mean, almost. 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 We, as a record, the recording of this is a couple of days before uh, New Year's Eve, but I'm projecting forward to 2021. It is going to be a great year. I've seen a lot of posts about how uncomfortable people are with the idea that 2021 sounds like 2021. Uh, yeah. And it did. It, I think it yeah. beat a lot of it us. It crushed us. Um, but I think that 2020 Uno is going <laughs> to be much better, though I'm going to try not to be too enthusiastic about it and test fate. So, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Understood. It's going makes... to go good. Sounds, sounds just, fair just to me. pretty good, I guess. Last week of the year, we've been uh, inundated with a lot of emails and messages, which we appreciate. Uh, Justin wrote this. I'm a lifelong Cleveland native. I was nine years old in 1986, mm. and I sold a couple of sponsorships for that balloon fest Cat was talking about. Oh my goodness! I vaguely remember the excitement leading up to it. And then I remember we just never spoke of it again. Now, I uh, also got a message on Twitter uh, from Bruce, I think, and they said that uh, Guinness World Records, they saw something that said that they didn't acknowledge that that was the largest balloon release no. ever. And from what I read, it was only mentioned in one of the books from like 1998 or something. So <laughs> hard to say unless we buy them. And uh, well, I probably we should yeah but if we're gonna do that we need to do it before midnight uh on thursday so we can write it off oh, okay is that what we're doing sometimes i feel like uh david on schitt's creek when i don't entirely understand like can i can i write that off question yeah. mark question i mark. mean it's sure it's for it's for me the podcast it's, it's kind of kind of my mantra this time of year can we write that off um you go first today. Oh, okay. Someone had posted, I, I think that JG should tell Kat she goes first every time and see how long it takes for her to notice. <laughs> and I 
I can't argue with that. Yeah, okay. I don't. Yeah. I don't think that that would be outlandish at all. Um, all right. So uh, just a heads up: we do have both pups in the room today. So if there are occasional uh, "Hey, stop that's" or uh, "What are you doings?" Mm-hmm. Uh, then that's what's going on. Or banjo, don't eat that. Right. That's the most likely. Jen on. Instagram uh, recommended that we look into this topic, and that's Gemma Two Ends, by the way. Thank you so much. I had a blast reading about this, and I really didn't know much about it. So here we go. The Arabia was a river excursion paddle steamer. Are you familiar with the steamboat Arabia? No. No, okay. So the Arabia was 171 feet long. That's about 52 meters. It had two 28 foot paddle wheels, and it uh, had a crew of about 30. It was built in uh, 1853 around Brownsville, Pennsylvania. And when at the peak of, of speed, she moved about five miles an hour going upstream. Hmm. Uh, the Arabia traveled the Ohio and the Mississippi rivers before it was brought by Captain John Shaw, uh, who operated it to the Missouri River. In March of 1856, the Arabia was sold to Captain William Terrell and William Boyd. That was the same month, by the way. This is not related to the story, just a fun little side story. That was the same month that the Arabia was stopped and searched by pro-slavery border ruffians. <laughs> border ruffians. I had to look up what that term meant. Um, it They were pro-slavery settlers from the slave state of Missouri who crossed the state border into Kansas territory to force the acceptance of slavery there. Uh, Ruffians interfered in territorial elections and attacked free state settlements. Is that where we get the term ruffian from? I guess so. It's like... um, Or maybe it was already a word and they were just referred to as ruffians. Skulking is a Civil War term. Skulking, soldiers that would abandon their troops Mm -hmm. before a battle... Mm -hmm. And just kind of hang out and watch things. They were skulkers. And then when they'd come back after the battle was fought. Those were skulkers. Yeah. Hiding behind trees, poking their little head out. Skulking about. Skulking about. Searched the Arabia. And they found a Pennsylvania abolitionist on board who had dropped a letter. And that was discovered and handed over to Captain Shaw. And that letter described that there were guns and cannons en route to the slavery-free Kansas Territory from Massachusetts. And the weapons were uh, discovered aboard the ship. So, um, yeah. Anyway, unrelated, but just a fun little, Hmm. little tidbit. On September 5th, 1865, the Arabia set out for a routine trip. It was frontier-bound, loaded with 200 tons of cargo intended for general stores and homes in 16 towns. Now, the Missouri River is the longest river in the states, and it claimed nearly 400 other steamboats around this time over its 2,500-mile course. The most treacherous of the many hazards in the Missouri was, or Missouri, if you will, uh, were the fallen trees hidden just out of sight under the river's surface. They're called snags, uh, as I imagine they, they snag you up. Is that where we got the term snag from? I don't know. 
So about six miles west of Kansas City at Quandero Bend near the town of Parkville, Missouri, the Arabia hit one of these snags. The snag ripped open the hull and it rapidly filled with water. The upper decks stayed above water um, and 150 passengers and crew made it off the boat safely. The the only casualty of the incident was a mule that was tied to sawmill equipment Aww. and was overlooked while people were uh, getting off the boat. But the boat sank so rapidly into the mud that by the next morning, only the smokestacks and the pilot house remained visible. 200 tons, as I said, of cargo were lost to the muddy river. Numerous salvage attempts failed, and eventually the Arabia was completely covered by water. And due to erosion, over the years, the Missouri River changed course, as rivers sometimes do. And over the years, legends were passed down through families in Kansas City and surrounding towns that the Arabia was located somewhere under their farm. But of course, no one knew for sure where it was. So in 1987, Bob Howley and his sons, Greg and David, set out to find the Arabia. They used old maps and a proton magno, magnet, magnetometer 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 i think i'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable i don't know metal detector basically basically yes they figured the missing steamboat must lie about a half mile from where the missouri now runs underneath a cornfield and they thought according to their their figures that the cornfield belonged to judge norman sorter who granted permission for uh, the team to see if they could find something in the field so they took out their metal detectors in 1987 and it didn't take long for them to pinpoint um, some some heavy-duty metal, and it seemed to be boilers. So they began the painstaking task of drilling test hole after test hole after test hole until they were able to kind of mark out the outline of what it was that they had discovered, because they still couldn't be sure what it was. Hawker and his sons teamed up with Jerry Mackey and Dave Luttrell, and the Sorter family agreed that the excavation could take place as long as it was done before spring planting season because it was their farm. Yeah. You know. Got to get the crops in. Yeah. So everything needed to be done quickly and it was obviously winter and it was not the best conditions but heavy digging equipment and a crane were brought into the site as well as 20 irrigation pumps that were installed around the site to lower the water level and to keep the site from flooding as they dug because they didn't want it to like fill back in with water. The 65-foot deep wells removed 20,000 gallons per minute from the ground. And it took about a year to excavate. So after 132 years, on November 26th, 1988, the Arabia was exposed. Was it still in one piece? Um, Not entirely, no. Years of erosion and shifting sand left the paddle boat 45 feet underground. Wow. And it was a half mile away from the present channel of the Missouri River. So uh, it took about four days after they discovered, you know, the, the bulk of it to pull up the first artifact. It was a vulcanized Goodyear rubber overshoe. <laughs> and uh, they they were thrilled. Obviously, this was amazing to find. And they started to discover as more things were 
uh, unearthed that because everything was hidden from the sun and from air in the cold mud, it meant that everything had remained intact. On December 5th, a wooden crate filled with elegant china was unearthed, wow. and the china was in perfect condition. Hundred almost 50 years after the sinking of the ship. That's, right. That's incredible. Yeah. I can't even keep a set of juice glasses from the 60s in one set. So the, pretty the impressed. Nice, the nicest set that, that we have are they have uh, Flintstones characters on them. <laughs> The mud was such an effective preserver that the packing straw that was in with this china was still visible. It was still there. Wow. wow. Pretty incredible. So three years later, the Arabia Steamboat Museum was opened in Kansas City with the tagline, 200 tons of treasure. And they recreated the boat itself so that visitors could kind of step back in time and see oh. what that would have been like. It is thought to be the largest single collection of pre-Civil War artifacts. Um, in fact, their find has been called the King Tut's Tomb of the Missouri River. In the museum, you'll find glass bottles um, for liquor and ketchup, small mouth bottles for fruits and pies. There were buttons and beads and clothing, weaponry, clay pipes, boots, hats, tools, and children's toys. Any whiskey? Any bottles of whiskey that were still sealed and drinkable? Because I bet that would be good. <laughs> Well, because of the uh, lack of air to spoil the, the things, uh, thousands of the items that were recovered intact were preserved items and therefore still edible. Wow. wow. Uh, reportedly even tested by one of the excavators who ate a pickle from the Arabia, finding it still to be perfectly fresh and edible. That's amazing. Yes. Um, so as far, I know there was liquor on board. I don't know about your particular brands, um, mm. but I'm sure that there were lots of really uh, amazing things that, that should be seen and will be seen when we go to this museum because we have to go to this museum. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. So they've rebuilt the ship, though. Yes. And they've put all this stuff back into the ship where they think it may have been. And well, it's not really. It's a combination of like most of the things okay. are just out on display. It's mm. not like you can walk through the ship and see like where the, but I mean, I suppose a certain number of things okay. would be, okay. but that's, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 200 tons of every kind of item you can imagine because they were a large portion of it was to fill general stores. So it had to be like all the things that you would need to stock your homes. Mm. And so there's an incredible number of not just like foods and stuff, but over 4,000 shoes and boots that were in shipping boxes ready to sell. Um, so like crates of wow. items. It's really, it's incredible. And uh, the museum is closed on New Year's Day, just mm. in case you were curious. Okay. But um, we absolutely have to go to this. <laughs> it looks incredible. The uh, Arabia Steamboat Museum in Kansas City. Please, 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 let's go there. I got most of this from Wikipedia, of course, 1856.com, Atlas Obscura, and the Vintage News. It'd be cool if they could find out what the recipe for those pickles was mm -hmm. and recreate them and sell them in their gift shop. Kind of like uh, the recreated perfume right. from the Mary Celeste. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that I, you actually got for me. Lily Bermuda is the name of the company that makes that. Yeah. yeah. It actually smells wonderful. I love it. It was a, um, they reverse engineered that perfume 
um, and recreated it. It, it. Pretty pretty phenomenal, really. Something that was uh, popular, you know, in the Victorian age. And now I wear it about Target. And now, that thing in the middle. Well, I think we can all agree 2020 was a shit show. It was, <laughs> it was really hard to keep up with all the headlines. Here are some that you may have missed. These are actual headlines from this past year. Number five, safety meeting ends in accident. Number four, woman falls in hospital told to call ambulance. Number three, county to pay $250,000 to advertise lack of funds. (laughs) Okay. That's like a a low balance fee from your bank. (laughs) That's not cool. Number two, woman missing since she got lost. And number one, China may be using the sea to hide its submarines. This is the kind of year that we've had. Good riddance. We can't predict exactly what 2021 will be like, but if it's no better than 2020, we're going to fire off a sternly worded letter to someone. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? 
I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. Banking services, debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NA, or Stride Bank NA. Members of FDIC, SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. One of the benefits of being a Box of Oddities patron at our Patreon site is you get our home phone number. It's a landline right in our house, and it's available to the inner circle, which is the most sacred of levels. Shall we say prestigious? At the Patreon website. Um, and you can just say Patreon. You don't have to say the Patreon site or the Patreon website or Patreon. the Patreon page. Okay. It's just Patreon. I haven't checked the messages for a day or two. Let's let's check the messages. Let's let's take a listen. All right, y'all. I, I Happy holidays. I'm just so uh, wonderful and great. Like, happy. No, this is horrible. This is horrible. You're wonderful and great, and I love you. My name's Katie. Um, I was the one who sent you all a message about Abbott Von Meter on Instagram, and he's amazing and wonderful. But anyway, I was um, going into Starbucks today and talking to my sister on the phone. Um, she's in the background like a freak of nature. Um, I was talking to my sister on the phone, and uh, you all were playing beforehand. Uh, and so as soon as I say bye to her, I hang up the phone, and instead of my phone, is being normal and doing what it usually does, it immediately goes back to Jethro saying, well, whales explode for a multitude of reasons. Um, And the woman, Jenna, who I was complimenting her sweatsuit at the time, looked at me as if I had blown the whale up myself. I enjoyed it thoroughly because she laughed with me and it was a good time, but dear Lord, I can only imagine how horribly that would have went. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I'll talk to you guys on the 14th. Please always leave us messages like this. This is wonderful. We, we enjoy it so I much. I all these messages. Yeah. If you'd like to be a Patreon patron on our Patreon patron site, um, you can do that and uh, get our phone number and call and leave all kinds of messages. And once a month, we uh, we open the phones and we just chat with you guys. That's right. Our next uh, Sunday phone calls with the Freak Fam is happening January 10th. And I am looking forward to it. All right. 30 years ago, on June 10th, 1990, a BAC-111, which is a passenger jet belonging to British Airways, took off from Birmingham with 81 passengers on board. The captain was 42-year-old Timothy Lancaster. Now, he had uh, put in, at this point, over 11,000 flight hours. I'm sorry, real quick. It was flight 111, and he'd put in 11,000 hours. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering if if you'd pick up on that. Yeah. He also had, in that 11,000 hours, 1,075 hours on that particular type of airplane. The co-pilot 
was 39-year-old Alistair Atchison. Alistair had 7,500 flight hours with 1,100 of them on the BAC-111. Weird. The aircraft also carried four cabin crew passengers, or crew members, and, and the 81 passengers. Atchison handled a routine takeoff at 8.20 local time. Then he handed the controls over to Lancaster as the plane continued to climb. Now, both pilots at this point were feeling uh, somewhat relaxed, so they loosened their shoulder harnesses, and Lancaster also loosened his lap, uh, lap belt. At 8.33, the plane had climbed to about 17,300 feet over Oxfordshire. The cabin crew began preparing for meal service. Can I just say that the 17,000 feet, like, it doesn't make any sense to me at all um but i'm not alone I, mm. I i have somehow wound up on the stem side of tiktok and <laughs> there's a whole thread uh, or a series of tiktoks about uh you know very sciencey things that even very sciencey people have a hard time like buying mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the theory of flight is one of those things that a lot of people just go like i don't get it i don't understand like i it. understand how the air and the wings and the displacement you know, sure, yeah, all that fine yeah. but still though what mm -hmm. it makes me feel better knowing that i'm not the only one who goes i don't understand <laughs> i don't understand how television works air steward nigel ogden was entering the cockpit this is according to Vintage News, when there was a loud bang in the cabin quickly filled with condensation. Oh, geez. What had happened was the windshield panel on the left side, which was the pilot side, Lancaster side of the flight deck, separated from the forward fuselage. Ooh. Lancaster was immediately sucked out of the airplane, <sighs> propelled out of his seat by the rushing air from the decompression, it forced him out head first, out over the flight deck. His knees caught on the flight controls and his upper torso remained outside the aircraft while his knees were holding him to the plane. Mm. He was exposed to extreme wind and cold. Of course. The autopilot, because his legs caught on the controls, disengaged, causing the plane to descend rapidly to plummet at about 400 miles an hour. And he's hanging outside the plane. Now, did our watching Castaway on Christmas Day have anything to do with you selecting this topic? No, it just came up. Okay. It was weird. I had it in my queue. The flight deck door at this point was blown inward onto the control console. Now, this is the, uh, you know, the door into the cockpit. Mm -hmm. That blocked the throttle control, which caused the aircraft to gain speed. No, at the ground. As it was descending. No. Papers, debris, cups flew all over the flight deck from the passenger cabin. Now, Ogden, the cabin steward, rushed to grab Lancaster's belt to try to hold him from, from flying out completely. You sweet treasure. The other two air stewards secured the loose objects and went back and tried to reassure the passengers, which I think would have probably been a challenge because the door had blown open and they were seeing what was going on. Right. They instructed them to adopt bracing positions and told them that uh, you can pretty much expect an emergency landing. Now, uh, well, 
how much is a braced position going to help you? <laughs> if anything, I think you should relax like a like a stupid baby, you know, and just like all your muscles real soft, just in case. It's I think that's that's probably there's some wisdom in that. But when you're plummeting toward the ground at 400 miles per hour to get all loosey goosey would be a challenge. <laughs> it's an exercise in willpower. Yep. yep. So his legs had disconnected the autopilot, and there they were, plummeting 400 miles per hour down toward the earth with the pilot dangling outside the plane mm. by his feet. Even some items that were bolted down came loose. Oh, jeez. Atchison, the uh, co-pilot, had not removed his safety harness. He had taken his shoulder belt off, but mm -hmm. not his, uh, his belt. That kept him from being sucked out. Yeah. As well, the plane was not equipped with oxygen for everyone on board. Oh, sure. Why, <laughs> why would you worry about that? So Atchison began a rapid emergency descent to reach an altitude with sufficient air pressure. He was able to remove the debris. He was able to find the controls, wow. re-engage the autopilot, and slow the damn thing down. Okay. All the while, the pilot... Now, this is how he is, okay? He went out the front of the windshield. Mm -hmm. His legs were curled around the top of it, helping hold him in along with, you know, the cabin steward who was grabbed onto his ankles and his belt. It was like he was lying on his back up over the top of the plane at 400 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And he kept being slammed against the plane because of the wind. His skull kept hitting the plane. Yeah. The entire time, over and over again, to the point where they looked out the side window and they could see blood running down the um, the window. I am not surprised that there was blood involved in being half sucked out of an airplane, no. So he was like on the front of a boat, the, the lady, the wood lady. Kind of like that, uh, yeah. But with a plane plummeting toward the ground. Right. He lives, right? We'll get to that. Okay, because I feel badly being like, ha ha, play, boat, wooden boat right, lady, right. ha ha, but he lives, right? At this point, oh, they thought he was dead. Of course. Okay, oh, they thought he was probably dead. And members of the crew kept telling Ogden to just let him go. Let go of him. You're suffering from frostbite. Your hands are going numb, and you run the danger of being sucked out as well. He's probably dead. Just let him go. And he refused. He said, no, no I'm, I'm hanging on to him. He's, he's coming in with us. They broadcast a distress call, but he was unable to hear the response from air traffic control because of all the wind noise. Sure. It was very difficult to establish any kind of two-way communication. And that led to a, a serious delay in uh, the beginning of the emergency procedures. Ogden was still hanging on to Lancaster. He was developing frostbite. He was he was becoming exhausted. Mm -hmm. That's when Chief Steward John uh, Heward and Air Steward Simon Rogers took over the task, holding on to the captain at this point. By this time, Lancaster had shifted several inches farther outside, and his head was repeatedly striking the side of the fuselage mm -hmm. in the wind. The crew, again, they thought he was probably dead, but they weren't going to let him go. The cabin pressure had been equalized. The co-pilot was getting landing instructions. Finally, they got in contact with uh, with the airfield. This was at the Southampton Airport. Now, because the aircraft's tank was still full, 
because they had just taken off, mm-hmm. he re- requested a long runway because he thought the tires might burst. Would that be because of the weight of the fuel? I, or I, I'm not sure. The bursting was... But that would make sense. I, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about planes, as we've discussed. So Ogden, who had been hanging on to this guy and had just been relieved by two other cabin stewards, now walked up and down the aisle preparing the passengers for this emergency landing. Atchison was finally able to hear the clearance from air traffic control to make an emergency landing at Southampton Airport. I looked for the uh, flight recorder audio. I I was not able to find it, but I did find a transcript. This is part of the conversation between Atkinson and the flight tower. Speedbird 53190 is nine miles from touchdown. You are clear to land. The wind indicates 020 degrees. One four knots, descend to height one five zero zero feet, QFE one zero one seven. Roger that, still descending to fifteen hundred feet. Talk me down all the way. I need all the help I can get. We're running on a heading of zero two five 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 three nine zero. The tower then says, you need not acknowledge any further instructions unless requested. It will be an uninterrupted talk down, but feel free to interrupt if you need to. Emergency facilities or facilities, please, and the ambulance. Everything is available to you. Oh, I have goosebumps. <sighs> You're lining up. You're clear to land. 5390. You are three miles from touchdown. The height should be 95 or 0 feet on a three degree glide path. You were lined up. He has never landed a plane this size, oh. this small a runway. How can you sleep at a time like this, Banjo? 5390, thank you. I have the runway in sight. Oh my gosh, he's so polite, even in the midst of Thank you, and you are clear to land. Do you wish to continue with more information? Negative. Roger. Remain on this frequency. 5309. And then he brings the plane in for a perfect landing. Everybody is safe. Now, he has told the tower that he thinks that the pilot uh, the uh, pilot is dead. Mm-hmm. But Lancaster survived with frostbite, bruising, shock, and a fracture to his right arm, left uh, thumb, and his right wrist. Ogden dislocated his shoulder and had frostbite on his face with damage to one eye. There were no other injuries. Jeez Louise. Can you imagine the nightmares? That would come after experiencing something like that. I bet every time you close your GD eyes, yeah. it's like you're plummeting toward the ground. Oh, my God. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, so the, the plane comes in. It taxis to a stop. The air stewards manage to free Lancaster's ankles from the flight controls while still keeping hold of him. At 8.55, the aircraft landed, and they pulled him inside. This all happened in, like, less than an hour. That's nutso. Now, the problem, what happened was the plane had gone in for maintenance the day before, Mm -hmm. and the mechanics had to replace that particular piece of windshield. Okay. And they didn't have the right kind of screws to do it. So they found some similar screws that fit, but weren't spec. And so... That's all it took. That's all it took. It got up to a certain air pressure and altitude, and the undersized bolts were unable to withstand that, the pressure between inside the cabin and the outside atmosphere, and it blew out. And nobody, of course, expected that. They were unbuckled and whatnot. Mm. Investigators found that the shift maintenance manager was responsible for installing the incorrect bolts. 
And this led to all sorts of uh, new changes in laws and cross checks so that uh, it wouldn't happen again. Right. First officer Alistair Stewart, Atchison, and cabin crew members Susan Gibbons and Nigel Ogden were awarded the Queen's commendation for valuable service in the air. Ogden's name was mistakenly missed from the published supplement. Atchison was awarded the 1992 Polaris Award for his ability and his heroism. The aircraft was repaired and returned to service, and it flew until uh, 2001. Lancaster, the pilot, Tim Lancaster, returned to work after less than five months. He retired from British Airways in 2003 and flew with EasyJet until he retired from commercial piloting in 2008. Atchison, on the other hand, he remained flying until he made his last commercial flight on a Boeing 737 on his 65th birthday on June 28, 2005. So, Scary AF. I cannot imagine what was going through the pilot's mind, assuming that he was conscious the entire way. Mostly it was windscreen. I just can't imagine. I mean, just being out there to begin with. But then you're pinned against the top of of a large passenger jet and... You're obviously injured badly. Mm. Your head keeps banging against the fuselage. And then, oh, now we're going to go straight down at 400 miles an hour for a while. Yeah. And it's lo- it's not likely that he could hear anything, you no. know, because of the wind and such. No. But imagine, like, <laughs> if he could, it's all like, just let him go. He's already dead. And you're like, no, no. I'd be wiggling my toes <laughs> right? and kicking my feet. Still here. Uh, don't let go. Still here. Um, yeah, that was incredibly stressful um, yeah. for me. And I just listened to it. So, um, But then again, we watched Castaway on Christmas. Mm. And I had forgotten. I hadn't watched it since... It came out, yeah, and I had forgotten what a like an emotional roller coaster that film was for me. I cried through pretty much the whole thing. Yeah, in a very emotional film. The part that really kind of got me all janked was when they're in the water and he's trying to swim away from the jet engine uh-huh. that's still it's still screaming and spitting water, and he's you know. Oh. Crashing's one thing, but then getting chewed up by a jet engine is something entirely that... Yeah, it sent my anxiety through the roof all day. I was just, like, hypersensitive and <laughs> just like, what was that? <laughs> <sighs> anyway, this ended pretty happily. Yes. All things considered. That was beautiful. Yeah. Wonderful story, sweetheart. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. We look forward to seeing you next time. And when we do, it'll be 2021. And until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. 
And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.